0: Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash Sports. That's Indeed.com slash Sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light.
1: Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
2: Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry, <laughs> <Scoop>! <laughs> Corey Perry. Will you able to
1: shake away from Solani. it's Getting away to.
2: So is uh is our power play good now? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it's looking like it <laughs> finally.
2: Is it is there some some light at the end of the tunnel for this power play that's been? Uh, well, I guess it never reached dead last, so I guess we can be fair about that. Yeah, it was it never, it. Yeah. yeah, it was never thirty-one. It was thirty, <laughs> not thirty-one. But now uh, it's looking better. Ducks power play in December is second best in the league. We'll break that down a bit more later, but they do have power play goals in the last three games, two of which we have to break down. Uh, Ducks Mm -hmm. lost 2-1 to the Kings, what was that, on Friday, Thursday, Thursday, Thursday. 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 lost 2-1 to the Kings on Thursday, and beat the Rangers in a shootout 4-3 on Saturday, so yesterday, and uh, they're the shootout Kings, I guess now. Yeah, all right. Two (laughs) wins in in the last two games. So not too bad. I mean, obviously the game against the Kings was a bit disappointing. I thought they kind of played a little bit better after that first period. And and Jonathan Quick uh, looked like Jonathan Quick from back in in 2012 and kind of had one of those uh, performances that uh, used to be consistent for him and not so much anymore. But uh, an interesting start to that game because Sam Steele played on the left wing with Genslaff and Terry, which was, uh, I guess, something we've seen a couple times this year, but coming back from being scratched against Minnesota, uh, he gets thrown on left wing instead of center. A little bit interesting there.
1: Yeah, um, I guess, uh, you know, if uh, players maybe struggling a little bit and maybe try and turn things around, find different chemistry somewhere else with it and kind of go from there. And, um, you know, in that Minnesota game, the the team looked really good anyways, so it's kind of, you know, we want to bring him in. We don't want him sitting for too long, but you know, let's try let's try something new and see see how it goes. <laughs> Didn't work out that great, but yeah, give it a
2: and, shot. and we we need something from Sam Steele. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I've been kind of on his side for most of the season, saying he was probably one of the uh, the better four rookies at the Ducks or young players. I guess because some of them are considered rookies anymore. But one of the <laughs> one of the better of the four, and he's kind of struggled as of late. So maybe playing him with Getzlaff and, and Terry uh, would get him some. Uh, some confidence. Obviously, that didn't last. He played He played right yep. back to center playing with uh, Come to and Terry uh, mm-hmm. for the game against the Rangers, but uh, Gooley was sent down before mm-hmm. the game against the Kings down to San Diego. Um, not the worst thing, I guess, because Josh Maher is up, and I guess they're just going to give him a, a longer look over Brandon Gooley, but um, not where we expected Gooley to be at this season. I mean, ideally, it would have been him and Fowler together as a pairing. That would work out, but somehow right now, and I got to give credit to, to Eric Goodbranson. He's actually playing pretty good with Cam Fowler. He's been, you know, goalie's been beaten out by uh, by Eric Goodbranson at this point.
1: Yeah, both uh, first round draft picks, him and Fowler in uh, 2010. So uh, yeah, it, you know, I think Goodbranson in the right circumstance can be a good defenseman and a top four. You know, he, if not in the right fit, he's more of a five six. But we were trying to use him as a one-two with all the injuries somewhere in there. And so that's just not going to be his style. But the fact that he's playing so well with Cam Fowler is just roll with it while it's happening. And he even uh, helped out uh, in the uh, Ranger game as well. He even scores a goal. So first of the season. So it's uh, wherever it works. I mean, whatever you find that works, you just go with it. So it's good to see that because I've liked the way Cabrensen's played for what he is um and so the fact that he's playing well and gives us you know a good top four again then i'm all about it
2: yeah and and we already talked about this too i mean the better he plays if you do want to explore trading him at the trade deadline uh mm-hmm. it's not a bad thing he's playing well right like yeah again we didn't expect much from him so the fact that he's actually forming some sort of a partnership with cam Fowler is <laughs> pretty good at this point and yeah. it's, it's not the worst thing in the world for brennan ghoulie to go down to san diego and, and gain some confidence the last time he went down to san diego he played very well and you know, we said the same thing about Jakob Larson. and we were saying the same thing about uh, Josh Mahura. That they're, okay. All three of them are still young players and they're, uh, they're being asked at times to play top four minutes for a team that's struggling this year, so to get them down to San Diego and play some top pairing men that's down there and build some some confidence and some momentum is, is not the
1: worst thing in the world yeah it takes a little bit longer for a defenseman I think they say anywhere from 300 games played or you get to age I think 24 or 25 or something like that that's kind of the consensus of when they defensemen will hit their prime and uh, none of those guys are close to those numbers so um, that's why you kind of see the the Fowlers, the Brunsons, the um, Lindholm and Mansons. Those are the guys you kind of have to have in there as a you know, veteran presence where they're already at least in their prime.
2: Yeah, and and one guy we talked about on the forward side of things, guy that we were a bit surprised didn't get called up when Sam Kerr get called up, mm, yeah. uh, shows how much that I'm paying attention to the goals this year, that <laughs> apparently Kiefer Sherwood has had a, a leg injury since November 16th. And oh, yeah. uh, would play into oh. <laughs> a, an obvious reason on why he wasn't called up over Sam Carrick. Not to say he would have been for sure, uh, but yeah. at least that sheds some light on that sense. And, you know, he's yeah. in Anaheim right now getting treated for that injury. And uh-huh. uh, there was really no option to call him up
1: yeah. in yeah. yeah, don't feel bad about it. It only happened a month ago, so <laughs> right on top of it. Hey, at least we <laughs> awesome. at least we weren't saying,
2: uh, you know, putting up too much flack for, for him not getting called up. So, yeah. Uh, there's a reason to that now, and hopefully he gets better soon and, and he can start playing well for uh, for San Diego. A uh, quick overview, I guess, of this Kings game. Uh, do, you, do you also kind of feel the Ducks maybe shortchanged in this one by a hot goalie? I mean, they didn't play awful. The first period wasn't great, uh, mm-hmm. but the goals that the Kings scored, one of them was a five-on-three power play goal. Great yeah. pass from Drew Doughty, and somebody's going to be left open. Jeff Carter was left mm-hmm. open uh, in a dangerous scoring area, and he ended up getting a goal, and the other one was kind of a, a rebound that kind of uh, fluky play yeah. just
1: like, slid under Gibson just past Manson and you know then it was a tap in yeah. for was it Luft? Yeah Matt Luft. Yeah. yeah so there, there yeah. wasn't
2: much much Gibson or the team in general could do on that. I mean obviously putting yourself in a five on three situation against any team is, is going to be difficult and it's one yeah. you, you try and avoid. But other than that, I mean they they had some quality scoring chances and Jonathan Quick was on his game.
1: Yeah, I look at that third period where we eventually did get a power play goal but I mean we mustered up 17 shots and um you know but throughout the game it's like you said he was Quick was just in a zone. He was it was extremely focused, and the, the challenges he made were at the right time. And like it hasn't been all that consistent for him uh, over the last uh, few seasons. So it was kind of a little bit of a return to form, uh, which really kind of helped them out. But they needed absolutely every save from him. So when you're at that point, it just it sucks from a Ducks perspective because you think, okay, you know, we're still not scoring goals, but we're not we're not playing bad. They just they yeah. whatever reason they didn't go in in this one particular game. And, you know, if you kind of look back uh, over the last, I think, like four or five games now or something like that, they've all been one-goal games. You know, a few of them gone to shootout and uh, even against Washington. So we're close enough in all these games to possibly – like this season is, hey, we're losing a lot of them by one goal. Next season, everyone's up a little bit higher, and I think we start winning these ones more by one goal. So this is kind of that little learning process. You go through the frustrations of it. But I wasn't disappointed with their effort, especially the third trying to get that tying goal. Just quick was was a little bit better this time.
2: Yeah, and I think we knew goal scoring was going to be an issue for most of the season. But when you start to see these little improvements and things like the power play and defense, things that maybe weren't ex- – you didn't expect to be great this year, but at least better than what they were. Uh, and you've seen that improvement in the month of December. So we talked about the power plays, you know, it's only 6 games in, but it's ranked second in the league so far, which is an improvement from where it was. You've got uh, the, the defense ranked 8th in expected goals allowed, which is better than what we'd seen in the month of November and October. So there is these slight improvements. Goal tending maybe getting a little bit better because the defense is getting better behind them. I think John Gibson mm-hmm. has looked pretty good in the last couple of games. He he was good against um, against the Kings you can't really fault him for the two goals that end up going in was pretty decent against the Rangers as well I mean you know Panarin that shot by Panarin was perfect <sighs> that beat him that's tough and the, the turnover by Manson that sent in Zbigniew 10 seconds into the game you yeah. know that's probably one of the last players on the Rangers you'd want to give a, a high quality <laughs> opportunity like that <laughs> and Panarin, yeah <laughs> yeah. So, so John Gibson I think has looked better so you see these small improvements and You know things are are not going to all of a sudden turn around, and the Ducks are going to be one of the best teams in the league. But it's nice to see that you know we're a couple months in the season now, and things are starting to look better in some areas.
1: Yeah, there's there's little benchmarks throughout a season. Like when you get to that point, you kind of evaluate. You know what have we done? What have we done recently? And are we heading in the right direction? I think uh, the Ducks are. Um, They they over the course of the season, they've had their their ups and downs. Goal scoring's a little bit down, but in the last little bit. The play has really picked up, and especially that power play. If, if that power play was clicking earlier in the season, we're in a completely different spot, in my opinion, as far as where we are in the standings. So, yeah, you win a now more get, games here or there, right? Yeah, so, exactly. I mean, and none bigger, you know, than the Ranger game right there. I mean, we had to get a power play goal on that one just to, to you know, be one of the goals that got us to the point where we could get two points out of it. So.
2: Yeah, I and mean, let's go into that Rangers game. So the Ducks won 4 3 in a shootout. Uh, the Rangers this year have kind of started to turn things on as well. They've been a, a team that a lot of people expected to surprise this year because, just like the Devils,
1: they had brought in <laughs> some, some high-profile That's like, a funny way to did. say it. How 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 are they expected to surprise? Wouldn't that not be a surprise? What? If you're expecting them to surprise you, then you're expecting it. It's not a surprise. I guess, yeah, I guess it's not, <laughs> you're
2: right, you're true. They were a team that were uh, a lot. A lot of eyes were on. A lot of eyes were on yeah. them, just like the Devils, because you had Panarin, you had Truba, you know, you had Kapokako, just like the the Devils added Subban and Gusev and uh, brought in uh, Jack Hughes as well. So they're, they're a team that's had their ups and downs, but you know they they have the talent, and we saw that in this game. But the power play, like, that's what we've been talking about the, for the last couple of minutes here, is they had two power play goals in this one, and they've switched to a 1-3-1 power play, it looks like, at least over the last three games. And look, they have power play goals in each of the last three games. Four for ten over over that stretch there. And you've got Lindholm, who seems to be quarterbacking, the being the only, you know, the lone guy at the blue line, which is an interesting role for him. You know, you would have expected maybe Fowler or, or Gooley when he was up to do it, but Lindholm's looked great. Had a goal and an assist... Uh, in the last game, and yeah. essentially, you know, there could have been two goals. Uh, his shot was tipped in by Jakob Silverberg, Silverberg, um yeah. on that first power play goal, but it, it's an interesting look, and it's working out. I mean, we, we kind of talked about this early on in the season, referencing teams like Washington and Buffalo who run a 1-3-1 and talking about how the Ducks have the personnel to not obviously make this, you know, a top power play unit in the league, but at least to be, you know, around 15 or 20, mm-hmm. and they're working their way over to, to being like that. I mean, they, they've had some success with this lately. And, um, you know, honestly, it's not super surprising that they've been able to make it work. It's just nice to see them paying dividends on it.
1: <laughs> yeah, finally doing it. I mean, uh, that's, that's kind of where a lot of power plays are. Um, you know, obviously, I don't think all power plays run that. But it just gives you so many options. And especially when you've got someone like um, Getzloff who can be on the, the sideboard or, or cycle around and he can throw out so much deception on it um, with his passing. You start having those three guys in the middle, one guy down low, all of a sudden he's got three or four different ways he can kind of pass it and then that just makes the penalty killers really kind of have to guess or hold tight and they don't can't quite challenge nearly as much as we had been challenged whenever you were challenging the Ducks they would usually cough it up, or they'd run out of options. It was down to one, one pass somewhere, and you'd hope you know a panic pass would work out. But now they get set up, there's chances, there's rebound chances, and it seems like wherever the puck goes, if it doesn't go in the net, someone's already close enough to the puck that it, you know it's not a long foot race to try and catch up to uh, one of the penalty kill units. So I think our puck recovery and retention is a whole lot better with that style as well.
2: Yeah, and, and you got some guys in interesting positions, I guess you wouldn't have expected them in. Raquel seems to be the behind-the-neck guy, which mm-hmm. uh, I, I would have thought would have been a position reserved for Ryan Getzlaff, but they've got Ryan Getzlaff playing at the right circle for most for most of the time I've seen him on the power play. So it, it is an interesting setup in the way they've gone, but you, you can't argue with the success it's had. Like I said, they're 5-16 for 16 in December. That's 31.3%. The only team better than that is Edmonton, who's at 37.5%. And then in the last three games, they're four, per t- four for ten, so 40%. And, you know, it it just seems to be clicking. I know it's still kind of a small sample size. It's only six games, but that's enough to say that, hey, like, this this could work. And there's going to be games where it struggles, but, like, you know, three, the last three games, you have four power play goals there something's going right. That's not just luck. So hopefully it continues because it would be nice to see this power play start clicking. And obviously guys like Ricard Raquel, who are already having a good season five on five, get three assists in that Rangers game. I believe two of them were secondary assists on the power play. That's a guy who's going to start picking up a ton, ton more points, especially if if the power play starts playing well.
1: Yeah, and same with Silverberg. Uh, I think Silverberg's done a, a good job in that power play, and they kind of have him almost in the middle a little bit, which is kind of good because he can have a quick, accurate release if he's got the space for it. But then as you saw with the uh, the Grant goal, um, you know, he can also quickly take it from the forehand and dish it back in, and he's good at making passes and finding open players as well. So I think he's a good fit right in that middle, uh, a threat to shoot, but also still a good passing option too.
2: One pairing we have to talk about, we kind of briefly mentioned it, but uh, Fowler and Branson. Who would have thought mm-hmm. that that is actually turning out to be something decent? And uh, I've been hard on Goodbranson ever since he came over to the Ducks, but i got to give him some credit over the last couple games especially. Uh, him and Fowler have looked like a decent pairing, a decent number two pairing. Obviously, not <laughs> ideal, right? That's not the uh, ideal situation you would like to have, but they haven't been bad. And then I think no. that's the important part is, you know, Fowler has been generating offense and, and Gabranton's kind of been a steady presence there and hasn't been making too many mistakes. And he capitalized on a mistake by Henry Wampers <laughs> to get a second goal of the season. So it, it's it's been pretty good for those two, which is all you can ask for, especially with Lin Tolman Manson back. You just need a pretty good option behind that top pairing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes it works that way. It's kind of weird. Sometimes that that Fowler, where it's a skating offensive mindset, and then you have somebody who's maybe a little bit more defensively responsible. I remember when uh, uh, Simone Dupree. Uh, came on, and him and Fowler were clicking instantly. We re-signed him. Unfortunately, he got the concussion, and uh, I, I, you know his uh, NHL days are over now. But I was so thrilled with how that worked out. And you just wouldn't have thought it. He was a big guy, and you know he wasn't really offensively gifted, but it was it worked. And I don't know if Brunson's kind of in that same area. At least the physical size of things uh, that might be just some chemistry that's going to develop, just like uh, Dupree did. So.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, that's all you can ask for from Good Branson mm-hmm. right now is to just be maybe a steady presence, especially, again, like we said, if you want to use him for trade bait at the deadline or if you just want him to stick around, there's no problem with him playing well, right? There's no yeah. situation where him playing bad is a good thing for the Ducks. So, either way, uh, it's nice to see those two playing well. And, and Cam Fowler has kind of always struggled to find a partner. And mm-hmm. at least you know some bit of semblance of chemistry during the regular season is nice to see him playing with somebody, whether that's long term or not. We'll have to wait and see. I, I can't see Good Branson being a long term option for the Ducks at, at the four yeah. spot. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure down the road they like to bring in somebody else, but it is nice for now. Uh, mm-hmm. One other line I wanted to talk about because we've seen Kidline line sort of this year, right? We saw Jones, Steele, and Terry. I think a couple times. Yeah. yeah I don't think we've seen this one though, because come to Steele and Terry were put together against the Rangers. they yeah. look bad. Steele's first game back in center after being a healthy scratch against Minnesota, so not, uh, not a horrible look from those guys
1: no no they were they were quick uh well once whenever you get a kid line what you want is a you know hopefully as few mistakes as possible but something where there's a lot of energy speed skill um and a want or drive to get that puck and i thought they were really good when they were forechecking um in that game um so you know it's early, see where it goes. I mean, I'm I'm completely fine with it. They're all kind of in that same skill area, so they kind of would deserve to kind of be on the same line, much yeah. like when we saw the, you know, Penner, Getzloff, and Perry kid line way back when. Uh, now that these guys they're are at back this when level. when those guys were kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so it's not like they're at that level, but uh, you know, it's shown that it can work, and uh, they're all kind of in that same skill area, and at their same kind of development stage, come to a little bit you know younger, but Let's see, see where it goes, just uh, keep it going there. But uh, Aikens is always trying to find things and kind of tweak things around. I think he kind of wanted to do that because we just could not quite get a goal in the L.A. game. So yeah. let's tweak it here, see if we can find something to work out of this. So I don't mind it. I like it. It's good. Yeah. You can come to us look better
2: since the, the call-up from San Diego, which is nice. I mean, that's, that's what you hope for when you send a guy down and call him back up, that uh, he can bring some of that confidence and some of the, that momentum up with him to the NHL.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping just a little bit better of that um, uh, puck protection. Just uh, so, Sometimes he kind of makes more decisions where he should probably pass instead of hold on, hold on, uh, when he should be passing, that sort of deal. So yeah,
0: that,
2: Dallas that Higgins made, made a good comment on, on Comtoy, and he just doesn't realize how good he actually is as an individual player. And he, he sometimes tries to make a difficult play when he could easily just make a simple play because he has the skill to do it. I don't know if that's uh, a confidence thing with Comtois or just you know a personal thing. We've seen that with players in the past, but I, I kind of agree with that. I feel like you know, Comtois, I don't think he realizes how good his skill set is and how well he could utilize that at the NHL level, and then maybe that comes with experience and playing time and, and getting that confidence from the coaching staff. Maybe that, mm. that happens, but it at, least, it at least looks like he's kind of moving in that direction because he has looked noticeable. He has looked better in, in the last few games. Yeah, for sure. Um, Ducks offense. So this is the problem that we kind of expected um, for most of the year. It's going to be a tough go for the Ducks to score goals. Um, But since December 1st, the Ducks rank third in shot attempts per 60, so they are generating shot attempts on net. The problem, and what's been the problem for most of the year, is they're not high quality chances. So they rank third in shot attempts, but they rank 26 in expected goals per 60. So you're getting a ton of shot attempts on net, but clearly they are not of the high quality variety i mean there's a big disparity there and ranking third in shot attempts and 26 in, in 26 and the quality of chances you're getting on net um i mean at least they're attempt attempting to shoot the puck right i mean yeah. it's a cliche thing to say but you shoot but you shoot the puck more often good things tend to happen but um they need to start generating some quality chances and and you know it's it's tough to do that when you you don't necessarily have I guess the the play driving quality type of players to do that on a regular basis, but uh, the ducks have to figure some thing, some things out here if you're gonna generate that many scoring chances you gotta you gotta get some more high quality looks,
1: yeah, and I think uh maybe it has a, a little bit to do with uh trying to you know go a little bit harder to the net and instead of kind of making that an extra pass and that shot where you know you're shooting and there's guys in uh defenders in front of you. And the kind of easy shots to put away, and like I said, not high danger. Um, whenever it's not a high danger situation, I would just say get more bodies in front, and you can make that same shot a much dangerous shot when there's people in the way. So be nice to you know a few times go back to the point, blast it, get people in front, that sort of deal, and uh, get a little bit more of those chances. But it, yeah, I'm I'm not a big believer in the the shot counter being a good indicator of, of uh how a game's gonna go um mm-hmm. so usually it ends up happening when the ducks outshoot opponents they end up losing that game for the most part and then vice versa when they're outshot that's when they end up scoring more goals so it's it's kind of weird phenomenon uh you know that's uh that's kind of changed it used to be uh, you can usually get count on goals if you're shooting a little bit more but i i don't feel that that's uh necessarily true anymore, so yeah. it helps a little bit, so I just kind of, I, I more or less do the eye test when it kind of comes to the, the shots, the shot quality, and was it yeah, dangerous were really the people? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you have to,
2: because, I mean, you could get 40 shots, and, and you know, 35 of them could be low-quality shots from, mm-hmm. from the outside, from the perimeter, from the point, and I think that's why the, the expected goals per 60 number is such a big... Kind of tell all of, of how the ducks aren't generating high quality, quality yeah. chances because they're they're twenty six and that's I guess kind of where they've been ranked for the last at least the last two seasons last year and this year. Yeah. Um, Dave says kind of he kind of has, uh, echoed your sentiment as they need to bring the puck into the house, they need to mm-hmm. get bodies in front of the net, they need to get pucks into the slot. Uh, I mean, that's the, the number one prime scoring area uh, is right in right in the slot, right in, in, in the middle yeah. of the ice there. Uh, and I think we had mentioned probably a month and a half ago, there was a, an article by The Point that was talking about the Ducks offense and why it struggled so much is they were taking a lot of shots from the perimeter and they weren't even really attempting uh, any yeah. passes into the slot. And that's something they definitely need to do a lot more of. They still really haven't done that. I'm I'm not sure. It might be the, just their setup when they get in the zone is, isn't really primed or, or set up to do that. They seem like more of a perimeter shooting team. Uh, but that's something they're going to have to do eventually if they're going to be looking to score more goals.
1: Uh, yeah, and it's, you know, I think Akins was saying uh, early on, it was like, listen, have structure on defense. But, you know, once you're able to get into offense, have an idea of, hey... If this play is available, you know, try and make this work. If not, be creative and do do your own thing. And so, I think with that looseness on the leash and the 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 skill or the types of players we have, a little bit more finesse, a little bit, hey, I'll make that third pass, and then it'll be a tap in beauty goal. And they, I don't think they they do enough to try and get to the front. And the other part is that we don't necessarily have that personnel, really, that kind of does that grinding to the front of the net unless it's the fourth line. Richie would normally be that guy. He's out for a little while. But yeah. um, I think it causes a, you know, a little bit more havoc and uh, desperation. And goalies get tired. Uh, defensemen start to get tired when all of a sudden it's a mad scramble every so often when you go to the net. I mean, if you're feeling it and the passes are clicking and the shots are high quality, at that point you go with it. But you know, if you start seeing where we're not we're not getting goals, crash in the net. Just find find some way to poke one through, and uh, those ones you know they count just the same. So I don't care if it's pretty; I just want it in the net.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, in that point, uh, we had a question in the chat from Jay Northcott. Uh, he said, been seeing lots of shots from the point with traffic in front lady, do you, lately. Do you prefer this over the Ducks trying to be creative with passing and scoring? I, I think we've seen point shots for most of the year this year. Uh, and you now they've just started getting more traffic in front. I mean, the issue at the beginning of the year, and it's from that same article, is the Ducks were generating a lot of their shots from the point, but they were like near the bottom of the league when it came to deflected shots and, and rebound mm-hmm. chances created after a shot from the point. I think they've gotten better at that. And I think when you're set up on a 1-3-1 one, one power play, there's nothing wrong with having that defenseman uh, send a shot on uh. net from traffic. You're going to have more traffic in front because you do have three players that are kind of uh, circling in and out from the slot. You've got one guy who's always in the slot, and you've got that guy fr- from behind the net who can also kind of skate out and, and kind of try and get a deflection like like Silverberg did uh, against the Rangers. He skated from behind yeah. the net and, and then ended up getting a deflection on the – on Lindholm shot that ended up going in, so I, I have nothing wrong with that. I'd rather them at least do that if it's working because they've been, they've tried in the past to be too creative or, or over creative, I guess you could say, on the power play and they you know, not making I guess the, the right pass or the smart pass and and, and uh, not really getting any high quality scoring chances. So I'm fine with it as long as it continues to work. Uh, I mean, I, I would like a mix of both, but uh, I mean right now you you can't argue with the success they're having.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. point shots are going to be a necessity for any team. Um, but yeah, to to the point, I think, too, where you know the, high or the expected goals, I think that will start to improve as the Stux power play improves because, as everyone who's been watching knows, it's been pretty tough to watch the power play. They rarely would get set up. They would rarely generate a shot. And if it was, it just seemed like, oh, we've got to get at least a shot, so let's just throw it. Now it's it's you've seen it. that's like a shot, and then there's a chance, and then they recover, and then it's back to the point of the shot, and then there's a deflection, and then it just seems the more power play opportunities we get under this structure, I think that expected goal starts maybe going uh, go up overall. And uh, yeah, I don't care how they score it or how they they generate it. As long as that creates a chance or a goal or multiple chances, so I think we'll kind of continue to see as that power play gets better, um, all the other numbers kind of hopefully go up with it. Yeah, hopefully. Um, so we didn't ask for our own questions for this show, so
2: why not steal them from Eric Stevens because he why just not? ran uh, he ran a mailbag on the athletics. So there are some yeah. good questions in there, and um, I feel like. I feel like the, they are worth answering, at least a few of them. Some of them we've we've kind of answered before, and, and we've had people ask them this, but we'll start with the first one. Um, it was from uh, Mark M. on Twitter. He said it to Eric Stevens. He said, do you see Anaheim still going after an offensive right-handed defenseman like Arista Linen or Colin
1: Miller? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if the opportunity presents itself, for sure uh they've been looking for it just because they're not necessarily in contention this year doesn't mean it's not something that they would covet and really want to have it's just the price point it's what what are we giving up for that and as long as that makes sense um then i don't see why bob murray wouldn't pull the trigger on it other than just yeah not wanting to maybe lose him during the expansion draft i don't know that's about the only thing i could think of but yeah, that's a I, I, excuse.
2: Mean, I I didn't think of that either. I mean, the, the Ducks are going to protect Lindholm, Manson, and Fowler uh, at mm-hmm. the expansion draft. They're likely going to go the 7-4 and 3-defenseman route. So bringing in uh, another <clears throat> defenseman at this point kind of throws a wrench in those things. So I, I don't think that would really affect his decision-making 100%. I think that's yeah. in the back of his mind. But if you can go out and get a good hockey deal, I think Bob Murray's kind of always said that he would do that. And, and you know, it's already come out that he was exploring Players like Colin Miller and 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 Rasmus but the price was too high, and some teams like Vegas weren't willing to move Colin Miller within division. So there is uh, there is that kind of um, you know sense that Bob Murray is, is trying to get something done, but I don't think I don't think he's going to push for it. I think if the right opportunity presents itself, if a certain player becomes available and they can get the deal done where it works out for for the Ducks, then uh, then I think that's that's the route he's going to go.
1: Yeah, he'll, he'll go poking around, you know, just saying, hey, hey, how's that guy doing? Hey, you think about maybe trading? Him? No, all right. all right, but yeah, I don't I don't think he's gonna fall. All right, I need this guy. What what's a good take to get him on my team? I don't think that's uh, where yeah. he's at. No, no, I don't think he's actively seeking
2: right now. But uh, Mark ended up asking Eric another question. He said, "Do you think this team is better than their record indicates? Seems seems they are close in these games, but cannot hold on in the
1: late minutes. But think they have played well for the most part." Mm-hmm. I I think they're right where they are. Where their record shows is how, how they're at. Can they be better? Yes. Could they be worse? I mean, consistency-wise? Yeah. I think moving forward, they will be a better team. We're already starting to see at least the signs of that possibly happening. And like I said, when you get to December, that's kind of a good benchmark to see kind of, well, have we have we gotten better? And they have gotten better. Now, there's still going to be those going pains where they're going to lose games. They're going to lose close games. They're going to lose leads. That's going to happen with a younger team that needs uh, some of that experience. But, you know, from December or January on, the Ducks usually come out pretty hard in January and usually kind of pick up their game a little bit. So I wouldn't be su- surprised to see us maybe start kind of climbing back into the standings and that race talk a little bit. Um, but given how they played and where they are in the standings, I think we're kind of right where we are. But I think we can improve.
2: Yeah, I think based off their play, um, I, I think they're right kind of where you would expect them to be. Uh, I don't think they've played any any worse than a 500 team. I don't think they've played any better than a 500 team. I, yeah. I do think, however, kind of in the same you know same mindset as you, that they can be better than a 500 team. I think a lot of things have not come to fruition yet that we expected they would in the off season. Like we thought the goaltending was gonna be, you know, a driving force for the ducks this year and not to say it's been bad, but it has definitely not been at the level it was <laughs> mm-hmm. last year. Last so that's yeah. you know, you could expect if John Gibson was playing at the same level he was last year, the Ducks probably would have a couple more wins under their belt right now. And mm-hmm. uh, same thing, um, you know, the rookies. We expected them to, to come in or I guess the young players and Steele Jones, Terry, and Come uh, expected them to come in and, and play a bigger role. Some people did. So that also hasn't really uh, lived up to expectations either. So if that turns around or the goaltending turns around, you could expect this team to have the potential to be better than a 500 team. Now, if that doesn't happen, then I think they'll likely finish around like a 30-30 type team, like a 35-win, 35 35-loss 35 team. But I think they have the potential to push that to at least, you know, at least three, four, five games above 500. I think they they have that potential, which is better than last year's. So. Yep. Um, Let's see. Next question uh, was by CJK Chell. I know that Twitter name because he participates in Forever Mighty Three Stars, too. Uh, (laughs) He said, do you think we see Sprong called up at some point? Everybody talks about a trade to get some scoring help, but maybe it can be as simple as calling him up.
1: Yeah, they'll call him up when they feel he's not going to be a liability on defense. Um, I mean, that seems to be the only thing really holding them back at this point because I don't think anyone really – thinks his offensive side isn't going to be beneficial, um, but it's just going to be at what cost. And if you're not doing the right things to do it, unless you are that Ovechkin-level goal scorer or some, yeah. you know, somewhere in that house, then you can maybe turn a blind eye to a guy who's not going to skate really hard to get back in there, um, you know, or turn the puck over, things like that. You turn a blind eye if someone's really going to produce. And he doesn't really produce. He can, but not for what you're giving up uh, where someone else will work harder do it more responsibly and put up similar close to similar offensive numbers so until he's able to do that or you know brass thinks that he's he's refined that part of his game then i think he's kind of stays down there and might be trade bait but if he works on it he can get called up and he's got a chance to
2: I just don't see who he's taken out of the lineup at this point because Sprong yeah. is primarily, I think he's always played right wing when he's been with the Ducks or pretty much anywhere. He's primarily a right winger. I don't think he moves over to the left side too much, not to say he couldn't, but right now you look at the right side for the Ducks, it's Silverberg and Kasher who aren't going anywhere. I don't think the, the Dallas Akins or the coaching staff is, is willing to take Carter Rowney out of the lineup to put in a player like uh, like Daniel Sprong. You're, you're sacrificing what you want and expect from Carter line, Rowney. Yeah. Good fourth line defensive player who can play in the PK for a guy who's a complete opposite. So I can't see them moving Carter Rowney out for that. The only way I think he gets in is if you send Troy Terry down. And then you, yeah. you bring up a right wing and... You know with Kiefer Sherwood out, Daniel Sprong is the next option there in San Diego. So there's there's a possibility there that uh, you could see him come up if that's mm-hmm. what they do. But if they don't if they, if they don't plan on sending Troy Terry down, it's tough. It's tough for Daniel Sprong mm-hmm. to get in this lineup unless somebody like we talked about in cash, it gets traded or if somebody gets injured, then maybe we see him then. But uh, yeah. if all else stays the same, uh, he could be down in San Diego for the entire season.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't see his uh, offensive side. Any much higher than what Terry is doing or what Terry has the potential to do. and so Troy Terry they kind of move around in a lot of different places and give him a lot of good looks too. so I don't think Sprong would have necessarily the same opportunity. so I don't know yeah I mean a lot of a lot of things would have to go right for that, including Sprong scoring a whole lot more goals. so if he's if he's absolutely tearing it up and lighting it up in the hL where you can't ignore it anymore, yeah man. then they might bring it up, but he's he's not at that point so.
2: Yeah, he's playing well, but he's not playing that well. Oh, where you, okay. you you can't, there's no. He's leaving you no option but to call him up. So, yeah. Um, the other question, uh, Alice Khalifa asked Eric Stevens. He said, "Do you expect Derek Grant to stay in Anaheim next season?"
1: I think they like him. I think they might have made that mistake of oh, you know we didn't sign him and I think he signed with Pittsburgh or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then immediately when we got the opportunity, we got him <laughs> again. I'm so, back, yep. yeah. So uh, I think he's too versatile, um, to, to want to let him go or not resign him or, or anything like that. Uh, he, he provides a great center depth. He obviously shows now he can actually put the puck in. He's a great, uh, penalty killer. Um, and, you know, that fourth line is is a really, really good line. Of, I, I would say one of our more consistent lines uh, over the course of the, the season. So I like that chemistry. Uh, and if you can have, you know, at least one of your lines situated, hey, this, we don't have to worry. Yeah. These guys are killing it. They know exactly what their role is. And, hey, they're also producing. So, yeah, I don't see why you would necessarily want to mess that up unless Derek Grant goes hey I just got a whole bunch of goals I want a huge raise <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 that's about that's the only, only issue I, can see. Um, I don't <laughs> think they'd
2: pay him more than than two and a half to be a fourth liner but I think if you can get him back I mean he obviously seems to be you know one of those players who just kind of works with the system that a team's running like there's players who can go any anywhere and it just doesn't work for them I think the a big one this year Uh, Obviously Derek Grant, but Anthony Duclair is kind of that guy where he's been among a bunch of different teams and just hasn't been able to figure it out. And then all of a sudden he goes to Ottawa this year. He's got 18 goals. He's on pace for over 30 this year. Guy who was always supposed to be a very good player. And he just seems to work uh, with the players they have in Ottawa, the system they have in place there. And Derek Grant seems to be that same type of guy for the Ducks where he just... Works in the system, you know the role he plays there, the system that they're running, just in Anaheim with the team with the coaching staff. He seems to be a player that just fits there perfectly. So, you know, in that sense, if he doesn't cost too much, I would love to have him back, and I think I think management would love to have him back because, you know. Fourth lines, having a, a capable fourth line with chemistry uh, can win you a game sometimes. We've seen that happen with with the Ducks so far, getting that depth scoring, getting that scoring from your bottom six. I think Derek Grant and Carter Rowney are guys that can stick around here for a while. If they continue to play, they are. No, no, I guess no um, hate towards Nick DeLoria, but I think there's you, you can kind of recycle him in with somebody else and, and see if you can get a, a more natural fit down there, a guy who can kind of fit um, what Derek Grant and Carter Rowney bring to the lineup in terms of being maybe a playmaker, another goal scorer that can can chip in every now and then. But uh, I think Derek Grant has more than earned his way uh, into a new contract for the Ducks.
1: Yep, I would agree.
2: Uh, zombie, zombie Stiglitz asked Eric Stevens, uh, does Ducks management consider Cam Fowler to be the leading offensive defenseman that every successful team needs in the modern NHL, or do they see him as the two-way player he is and are satisfied with his lack of production?
1: He's, all, he's having a career year offensively, right? Or he's like, he's heading harsh. that way. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, a,
2: that's a bit harsh in, in terms of, I mean, I, I agree he's a two-way <laughs> Two way player more than he is a, an offensive defenseman, if it depends on what you label an offensive defenseman as. But yeah. um, I don't think it's a lack of production for Fowler. I mean, we've praised him pretty heavily this year. And again, being on pace for over 40 points, that's significant production by a defenseman. I mean, you <laughs> yeah. know, two, most two way defenseman guys who are strictly two way, like Campus Lindholm, you would say 25 to 30 points. Uh, is a high-end two-way defenseman with some offensive skill, but a guy who's putting over forty or forty-five, you're leaning into that category where, you know, for me, an offensive defenseman is a guy who puts up fifty-plus. Nah. You know, if Cam Fowler is kind of scraping the surface there, that's a very, very good season from a guy who also contributes well for you defensively and and is just a, a great skater who can get the the puck out and and uh, get some. You know, he's been consistently one of the best players uh, in the league when it comes to zone exit. So I think yeah. uh, I think that's a bit harsh on Cam Fowler.
1: Yeah, he's uh, he's his, his skating ability just gets him gets him out of trouble where I could just see literally almost everybody else on the team would just try to you know, get rid of the puck or cough it up or, or do something and he'll he'll literally just skate around and out of trouble and we've seen it countless times this season. I think the removing the Carlisle part. Out of his game, uh, the second he was gone, all of a sudden I saw a much better camp foul at the end of last season. I still see it this season. Uh, offensively, he wants to jump in. The style is much more set for him to flourish in that role. If uh, they're going to give it to him. Now, is he you know Brett Burns or is he uh, Eric Carlson? No, he's not going to be that high guy or a headman or anything like that. So you're not going to get that top, top guy but if you, like you said, if you get close to 50 points, that's damn respectable uh, for an offensive threat from a defensive uh, position. So I, I think he's great. I think he should stay there. He can eventually, hopefully, start quarterbacking the power play a little bit more. Um, but uh, he's creative offensively, and he's a good enough skater defensively that he gets himself, uh, you know, gets the puck out. Like you said.
2: Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I think that's a bit harsh. Um... Mm-hmm. Alex asked Derek, uh, what are your thoughts on the Ducks' future prospects? Are you concerned with the current depth of talent? Um, and, and I don't know if this is specifically talking I, – I think this also – AHL. Yeah, I think this includes some guys in the AHL, and I think it also includes Sam Steele and Troy Terry, uh. Uh, Max Jones and Maxim Comtois. Um, personally, my thoughts on their future prospects um, – you know, I, I haven't bought into the hype as much as I guess others have in, in terms of these guys being potential 50- or 60-point guys, so I'm not as concerned. I think if you believed they could be those guys, then there should definitely be some concern. Uh, the fact that they haven't turned things around yet or, or you know, kind of moved into to that higher echelon of being consistent top six players. Uh, but I, I think they have enough depth in their system. I, I think they're missing you know a couple big pieces and... and you know, a right shot defenseman, and specifically a point producing right shot defenseman. They don't have that. They don't really have any right shot defensemen mm-hmm. uh, of quality in their depth chart. Uh, and then a pure goal scorer. I mean, you could argue maybe maybe Braden Tracy could be that guy. He's having a great season in the WHL. But you know, again, Braden Tracy, uh, Benoit Livié grew. They all. Um, you know Isaac Lindström, can't forget about no, him no. either. They they all seem like they're going to be similar players to Maxim Comentoy and Sam Steele and Troy Terry and Max Jones and very good. You know, bottom nine players. You know, bottom mm-hmm. six players potentially. They can move up and down the lineup and and play all over the place, but not that game breaking talent. I think they have yeah. one. Trevor Zegers is it definitely looks like he could be that guy. But that's it I, I think they could really use um you know a potential thirty goal score a consistent thirty goal score or a top uh top uh point producing right shot defenseman they can get both from this draft yeah. so yeah. I think they'll move in the right direction but th- there's no i think there's no reason con- for concern yet i think they they have a good mix of prospects and they've hit on some guys uh outside the top three rounds where it looks like they can contribute on a long term basis so um i i think the pieces are there they just need uh Couple seasons like this where they can get a few top 10 picks and, and start bringing in the heavy hitters.
1: Yeah, it's not overwhelming what they got in the system, but it's nothing that he goes, wow, we're we got nothing to look forward to. I I think they kind of have little bits of, of waves kind of coming in and we're getting kind of that first wave of some of those newer guys. And as they get better and they move up in the lineup, it creates, you know, area for a second wave to eventually hit a couple seasons down the road from there. And we've, we've got it. We just don't have any, you know, game breakers at this point, but you can always move pieces around and add that into, you know, that depth chart if you can. So, um, you know, it's just a little too early to tell exactly where everyone's going to kind of place out at this point. So, like I said, like, given a grade on it, I would say, you know, B, B-minus, something like that. You know, it's yeah. it's, not, it's not blowing my skirt up as, a, you know, an amazing thing coming this way. But it's, it's you know, it's fine. It's decent. It's solid. It's just, you know, could be yeah, better.
2: It's solid in the middle, I think, that is yeah. in terms of you have a lot of B, B-plus prospects, which is not a bad thing to have because you need a lot of those guys. But eventually... Those guys are going to become fillers to get other players to in trades yeah. or whatever. You you can only fit so many of them in the lineup. The Ducks are already kind of struggling a bit right now to kind of find that mix of young players and veterans that they have. And that's only going to get harder next year when Benoit olivier Grew is no longer eligible for the QMJHL and he'll be in the AHL or with the Ducks couple years when Braden Tracy's there. Isaac Linderstrom is already in that spot now where he's playing full time in the AHL and you're gonna eventually, you know, hopefully make way for him to be a, a bottom six or, or you know a second line center for the ducks on, on a very, very high end for him. So it, it's only gonna get harder to keep all those guys around, which I guess is not the worst problem to have because you you can kind of package a couple of those guys and bring in a player who could help you um, in in the short term, or you know, even again, you know, a couple prospects here for a prospect in a position you need, like a right shot defenseman or a goal scoring option, is, is never a bad thing. I just think they need something other than Trevor Segris. I think yeah. you know at center they're great. I think with Zegris, Steele, Lindström, Benoit olivier Gruis is looking like he could be a center. You've got some good mix of high end talent and, and good quality two way players. I just think on the wing, it you know, with Jones and Comtois, you're not sure what you're going to get goal scoring wise. Braden Tracy is a little bit too early to tell. They really need something there in a in a quality goal scorer. And then clearly, I mean, left defense is a strength, but right defense, there, there's nothing there right now. After losing Brandon Montour, who's not even a prospect, but it's Josh Manson, Gabranson, Holzer, Hunter, Drew, like Chris Wideman, Yanni Hack, and probably like none of them are really prospects, and the Ducks don't have anything. Uh, in the system yeah, I mean they, yeah. they drafted Will Francis in the sixth round but is he you know he's a long shot to make the NHL and he just had knee surgery that cost him his entire season uh, in the USHL this year so they need something there to kind of uh, to make this you know above a B+ plus, I think prospect pool as a whole yeah um, Nate said he said what would it take to uh, improve the chemistry among the forwards? Are there any trios you think Eakins should try or stick with? So of any of the lines we've seen so far are you the ones you'd want to see put together or ones that we've seen before that you have you want to see more often or
1: um,
2: yeah, as far as the young
1: guys i I don't know I mean you know it's just, you've seen a lot of different looks from them, and sometimes it works or it works a little bit, and then it doesn't and so it's it's hard. There's no consistency, which kind of comes with chemistry. Chemistry is a hard thing to to nail down sometimes. So obviously we've got chemistry when you're talking about Silverberg and Raquel. That's chemistry right there. When you are Lindholm and Manson, there's you know. But it, it takes a while to get to that point. And I think uh, I think if they they start winning games and they start keeping the lineup a little bit more intact and they start to you know get that experience with the same line mates over and over then a lot of things start to become second nature which looks like chemistry where you don't have to look you just kinda know and you know where that person's gonna be or, or what they usually are gonna tend to do and when you don't have to think as much of what you're doing things come so much faster and naturally and that's what they talk about saying a faster game is not foot speed it's just thinking it quicker not having to think at all and making the right decisions out of it so I think uh, They'll both kind of intersect with each other. I think they got to win a little bit more to get a consistent lineup, and then that consistency will help uh, grow better chemistry over time. But, you know, when we're only scoring one goal here, only two goals there, and we're losing games because of it. Yeah, I don't blame them for trying to find something for maybe an instant chemistry strike, but...
2: Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing um, comtois Henrik and Cash a bit more often. I know we saw it, I think, a couple games ago, but that was something that worked last year when yeah. uh, in the early part of the season, and with Richie down, I think that's one you can put together. Uh, I would love to f- for Getzlaff to find some chemistry with somebody. Um, you know, I, it would be interesting to see how he would do with Raquel and Silverberg this year. We have, I think we have barely seen that trio together, and, you know, I mentioned on the last show over Kellen Silverberg seemed to be working with everybody this year that the two guys just in general have been very very good so maybe it is playing them with Ryan Getzlaff to see what that trio can do and kind of just over overload (laughs) that top unit who've arguably been the Ducks three best forwards this year and then makeshift you know a a second unit of I guess what who would be left then uh, Steel Kasha and like Devin Shore and yeah. see see how that could go. I mean, I, at that point, I would I'd be willing to try that just because we know uh, Henry Kasha, or I guess I said Kasha was with um so with uh, uh, with would so be and Terry. So it would be Terry Steele and and Devon Shore. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. We saw Terry Steele and Cumtois last. Uh, Last game. Uh, last game, so having Steel Terry, and Shore as a third line, having uh, Henry, Kasha, and Comatois as a second line, and Getzlaff, Raquel, Silverberg as a as a top line that uh, that would be interesting. I would I would kind of like to see uh, those three lines go.
1: Yeah, and like I said, Getzlaff will work with with anybody as well. I mean, he'll help facilitate things. But yeah, I think if he gave him that Raquel and that Silverberg um, versus trying to you know. Trying to go, hey, listen, we, we got these kids. We got to try to really get them up and going. Play with Getzloff because you know he, he'll facilitate things to you and give you those opportunities, those chances. And, so like, all right, let's just stop. We'll, we'll let them kind of, you know, the kids kind of figure their, their own thing out with, you know, kids their own age. <laughs> and then let Getzloff go over there where he's going to have these guys who are, are already at that prime where they can start actually putting that puck in the net. And if they can get somebody like Getzloff to kind of dominate and feed them potential passes in uh, place then who knows where that line could go and i think they're all big enough smart enough and um talented enough to play against the top d pairing on any other line and be successful
2: yeah i mean uh, i want to see it now Now i want to yeah, see it this question has made me want to see it i want to <laughs> see uh, get slap with their and silverberg for this next game coming up uh I really want to I want to see how they do. Um, so we got a question from uh, Jay Northcott in chat again, and I want to combine that with a question uh, that Larry C. asked Eric Stevens. So uh, Northcott asked us, he said, I love Kasha, but I feel like he really needs to start scoring. What's your thoughts? Maybe a trade in the future. And then Larry C. asked Eric Stevens, uh, he said, apparently Anaheim has been really scouting Boston. Who do you think is their target? So I propose this trade, in no. and Andre Kasha... For Charlie McAvoy I feel like I mean if the, the Bruins are looking for scoring the Ducks are looking for a point producing right shot defenseman it's On, not the worst deal they could get I mean Justin Falk was the guy they were going to get for Andre Cash before I, w- I would argue that Charlie McAvoy is a better player and, and can be a better player right-handed, right-handed shot. shot right-handed shot Uh, Not a great season from him this year, 12 assists in 34 games, no goals. But rookie season, he had 32 points in 63 games. I don't think he's going to be, you know, a 60-point defenseman, but I think he could be a 50-55 guy put in the right situation. Um, And and then you would be running uh, Linton Manson, Fowler, and McAvoy. And, I mean, yes, you have to give up a player like Andre Kasher, but you get a 21-year-old former top 15 pick, um, I, I think it could be a situation that could work for both teams. And, and you know, in the past, um, I mean, I don't know where Larry C. got that uh, information that the Ducks are scouting Boston, but Eric Stevens' yeah. answer said, you know, last year in February, the, the Bruins were really heavy in on on Jakob Silverberg, but the Ducks wanted to keep him around. So, insert Andre Kasha and, and trying to get a deal done. Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, potentially, I was just... I find it hard to believe that any... NHL team would have a 21-year-old right-handed shot defenseman who was impressive uh, at one point and then maybe having a down season or something like that and then just completely giving up on him so early, especially since it takes a lot longer for defensemen to kind of develop. Although I would love to have him, I just can't really see that that is something that they want to move for Kasha, who once again... You know, he's not having a great season right now as far as the offensive side goes. I mean, he, he drives play really well. And if they're looking solely at that, then I can see maybe their interests are a higher value on it. And I can see the Ducks, in my opinion, I, I want to move Kasha because uh, I'm still not convinced that he'll get past a lot of his concussion problems. And so, in the way that, in the style that he plays, he, he leaves himself open to, to be bounced around a lot. So, I'd rather do, you know, make him a trade possibility for something. I just, it, it's hard for me to see Boston putting that much value that they're willing to just give up on McAvoy for a guy who's not really putting the puck in the net right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I could definitely see that. Uh, I think you know Boston does have some intriguing defense options when it comes to prospects, but right now Charlie McAvoy is playing top pairing with Zdeno Chara. He's playing second power play. Uh, I don't think they'd necessarily be shopping him. I just mm-hmm. don't think they would be opposed if they could get a a good player in, a player like Andre Kasha who you know has the potential to be a very valuable top six forward, and and maybe and when you're you know he's not asked to be the guy, maybe I don't I guess he's not being asked to be the guy in Anaheim, but a bit more pressure I think on him, and you put him behind uh, David Pasternak, he's a country mate. they're both Czechs, yes. uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yes, he's Yeah, he's starting to work here, and right okay. now Charlie Coyle is the um, second line right wing for them. Play him with another check, David Krejci. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh, that's all you need. That's all you need. You if they're go. all from the same country, then, then that's that makes trade. But but honestly, <laughs> it, it does it does have the workings to make sense for both teams, where you could then you know Boston could roll out Krejci, Dubraskin, and um, and Kasha, and obviously Patrice Bergeron, uh, Pasternak, and Marshawn. You move Charlie Coyle down to a third line, and then you move Sean Corrali down to the fourth line it gives the the bruins some more depth up front and some more options that are beyond that that godlike top line uh but then you do have that um that hole that it creates for them on the blue line so i don't necessarily think they would say no i think it would be uh you know, there'd probably have to be some more pieces. I don't think it'd be a one-for-one, one, whether yeah. you know, whether it's likely the Ducks adding just because Cash is having a down season, but so is McAvoy in the same sense with no goals in 30-plus in games this year. So not to say it's going to happen or it's even in the works. I just think it'd be a, an interesting scenario, especially if the Ducks were looking to to move Andre Casa for a right-shot defenseman, which we've already seen. You know they were willing yeah. to move him for Justin Falk and things didn't materialize and I would argue, I would rather have Charlie McAvoy than than uh, yeah, Justin I would. Falk. So I would do. Um, I think that uh, I think that was it. I think the other questions were more personal for uh, for Eric Stevens. Like, what would you do if you, How like, you doing? <laughs> yeah, I was like, what would you do if you weren't uh, like a hockey broadcaster? Would you still like hockey? Uh, blah blah blah, but let's then move yeah. in. You know, we're almost at the end of the show, and last time we missed all of our shootout uh, mm. questions. So let's go <laughs> to the shootout brought to you by Cool Hockey, where we talk all
1: hot stuff from around the NHL. That sounded bad, but I yeah. lost my words there.
0: <laughs> that's uh, all right.
1: We we want you guys to be educated in other things that aren't necessarily just docs 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 oriented. See, you're contagious. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of what the whole shoot around is, and uh, Cool Hockey presents it. Okay, so. Two
2: coaching changes, we briefly touched on this last time, but San Jose fired Pete DeBoer just because he's bad. They had to mention that, that it wasn't because he did stuff behind the scenes, but because he's just not a not a great coach this year and it wasn't working out for the Sharks. And then Dallas fired their coach, but because of things we still don't know, internal yeah. decisions, I think they said, uh, he was doing something that they didn't like and
1: they fired him and we still haven't yeah. heard why yeah um, conduct unbecoming or something uh, that is yeah. not in line with management's values core values
2: and this isn't just happening in the NHL actually i think yesterday um a QMJHL coach for a team that's like third in the league he got fired because of the same thing something happened behind the scenes internal decision by the uh, management staff there to fire him i mean obviously that's not as big news but it's spreading it's not just the nhl all these decisions and the things that are happening players are maybe coming forward or, or you know management saying hey we don't want to be caught up in a shitstorm here we know that this uh-huh. has been going on so we got to get rid of this guy before it uh, it comes back to bite us but uh a yeah. couple of interesting <laughs> decisions let's start with dallas um uh-huh. what do you think it is like do you think this is a player thing do you think this is some other type of personal thing that like, we have no idea
1: I think it's maybe a personal thing. I don't know why. I've got no, I mean, no one's got really any information on any of the things. Well, the players don't uh, know either. Like
2: Sagan and yeah, Ben that, came out it, and said, we don't know what's going on. And, yeah, you know, just walked up. Management was here. Management. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Like we respect <laughs> like, management's we decision, but there's nothing going on with us. So it, it kind of makes me think there was something outside of, of player, whether. You know, he was doing something, I don't want to say illegal because I don't know, but just something unsafe. Maybe <laughs> he went to a bar, him, got so belligerent, started
1: fighting everybody. He's doing something. I mean, I, I kind
2: of hope we hear it at some point. Yeah. I'm interested dating an ice girl. Can't do that. Yeah. When you've got the captain and, you know, the two best players on the team coming out and saying, like, we have no idea what's going on. Because the team was doing well. Playoff position. Yeah. Turned things around. Good. And he's a relatively new coach, so a bit surprising there. But the one that's yeah. not surprising is the Sharks firing Pete DeBoer that yeah. uh, that was bound to happen and the sharks were not playing well and um you know they were expected to be one of the better teams in the western conference this year so that uh was felt like it was a bit overdue on that one
1: yeah um and it kind of came on the heels where you know they they started off so so horrible and then they they actually kind of turned it around started heading back up the the standings but then i think they went on some like five game losing streak or something like that and um you know, it's just with that inconsistency back and forth, it's hard to to keep that around or keep that going or not make any sort of uh, movement. And as good as that team is on paper and everywhere else, yeah, they lost Pavelski, but I mean, uh, they're just too good to not to, to be where they are. So, like, if you do that other thing, oh, is the, the Ducks team uh, where you expect them to be? Are they under Like San Jose is way under based on what yeah. that team is they should definitely already be in one of the top two i would say spots in our division so to kind of give you an idea at this point the athletic just came out um with expected uh percentages of teams uh making the playoffs so the ducks have an 11 percent chance of making the playoffs san jose only has a 10 <laughs> yeah. so uh, they expect the ducks to make the playoffs before san jose does and uh given that the ducks at the start of probably the year, probably should would make not it the case, guarantee <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the yeah absolutely.
2: as close to a lock for the playoffs as you could you could get for any team. So yeah,
1: yeah. there's only six teams that uh, have less of a chance in San Jose, according to this, to make the playoffs this year. So
2: yeah, which is then uh, not surprising why uh, Pete DeBoer was fired. But now, what's that? So that's five coaches fired. I think three four being bad. I mean, Babcock's on yeah. borderline, but he was fired because the Leafs were bad. Uh, yeah. John Hines is fired because. This, the Devils are just not good. Um, and then obviously now Pete DeBoer. And then we had. Uh, oh, God, uh, was Peters? Peters Bill Peters. Peters. Yeah, Bill Peters yeah. in Calgary. And uh, Montgomery in Dallas now yeah. both fired yeah. for uh, internal or other outside. I mean, Calgary Flames sucked anyway. So Bill Peters was <laughs> kind of fired for both. But yeah, um, but yeah the, the, the Stars one I think was the, the big one where the Stars were actually starting to play better. Uh, maybe if he had to get fired earlier in the season, you would have been like, okay, that makes sense. The Stars were awful, but they turned things yeah. around and, and uh, ended up still firing their coach for different reasons. So five coaches now and uh, <laughs> potentially more on the way. Uh, obviously, if things start to come out uh, on the off the ice side, but there are some teams that, I mean, Jeff Blaschel could still eventually get fired. They'd lost 12 in a row with the Red Wings before rattling off two wins, but uh, that doesn't really make things too much better. Uh, before we were going to talk about this on the last show, so win their 12-game losing streak. The Red Wings were a minus 62 in the whole <laughs> differential on the season. When if you want to know how bad that was, the LA Kings were last in the NHL last year over an 82-game stretch with a minus 61. So yeah, I <laughs> think the Red, the, was, the Red the Wings that. have knocked off, I think, four points off that, so they're you know, only minus fifty seven now. So it's uh 58. It's a, or fifty eight, so it's a little bit better. <laughs> but uh Yeah, yeah.
1: there's still there's still a zero percent chance to make the playoffs So <laughs> Yeah, for good reason. They
2: have nine wins now. I think they had seven uh, yeah. a
1: lot before on on our last show, so
2: it's uh a Tough stretch for the Red Wings, and you know it'd be even, even more uh, expected. I mean, I, I don't like the Red Wings. I think most Ducks fans probably don't like the Red Wings, uh, especially if they've been no. following the team for for a long time. Uh, you had your here and there, right? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but uh, I mean, it would be it'd be great to see them finish last and then miss out on the top two picks. That would uh, yeah. in the, in the draft, <laughs> that'd sit leagues. fine with me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like the Kings last year, uh, finishing second with worst, worst record and dropping all the way down to five. That was. Yeah. Absolutely delightful. Grating. Yeah, delightful. they didn't get a player like uh, <laughs> like Capocacciu or Jack Hughes. I mean, they still got Alex Turcott, but uh, if you want to pump the Ducks' tires a bit this year. Trevor Zegras is producing at a, a better point per game rate than Alex Turcott in, in the NCAA this year, so that is uh, uh-huh. a bit of a bonus. But uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> still that. Uh, that U S national development team program last year was insane. The fact that Segrist Cole Caulfield and almost Alex Turcotte are all almost producing at a point per game rate. in the NCAA as freshmen is just ridiculous. So yeah. I don't think, I don't think anybody lost in terms of Montreal, Anaheim or LA from getting those three guys. Um, Let's talk about the World Cup of Hockey because it's not happening. Or lack thereof. <laughs> yeah. It was supposed to be, I think, 2021 or maybe 2022 is when it was supposed to happen. Uh, that's not happening anymore. There may be – now it says maybe 2024, 2028. Um, so, I guess the, you know, the, the big thing for me is the World Cup of Hockey was supposed to be the NHL's answer to not going to the Olympics.
1: And uh, now they're not they're doing that. They're, they're half assing yeah. it. It's like, listen, we really don't want to do anything, but because so many people were bitching about it, we're like, oh, well, we're going to do the World what Cup. Is, it'll, well, be our thing. it'll be everything. It'll be every four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like, ah, oh, we're not really going to plan very much after this first one. Everyone will shut up after that. Yeah, no, It'll go <laughs> Why away can't again. You get
2: it done. Like, what's the what's the reason they can't get it done? That's what I don't understand. It's like, what it what can't is venue, you huh? holding you back? Like, there's no <laughs> yeah. Oh God, yeah, right. Like, you can't find a venue. The venue. I, I don't know. there's gotta be something like there's, I I really
1: don't don't care. They they don't want want it. They don't want it. Yeah. I think they wanted it
2: and, and it did good, but I think it probably didn't do as good as they thought it was going to do in terms of revenue generation or whatever. And, uh, I don't know why. They, they the... don't They don't
1: want to do the Olympics, but they couldn't just say no to it. So they tried to come up with this BS World Cup thing, and then they put no effort, no planning, no anything after the first one because they really do not care about it. They don't want to do it unless it's an NHL game or if they're doing an NHL game in a different country, but it's got to count as the, the season. So anything that's exhibition in nature, they don't want to have to do it. So, um, you know, so they, they don't care. They don't care if it goes it goes bad or never comes back. They just didn't want to hear everyone bitching about the Olympics, but yeah, they'll Which start is, to bitch it, about it. The I, mean, Olympics,
2: so. I think they're hoping five, five to seven years down the road, people don't care anymore. I honestly feel like that's what, what they're hoping for, because at this point, I mean, this I was wrong. excited to see it in a couple seasons, and that already was a long wait, like way longer than expected to have to wait for something like that. I mean, we all kind of, understand waiting for the Olympics when the the NHL players are going to the Olympics, it wasn't like man, I can't wait for the Olympics it's just like, ah, it comes every four years and it's great when it does happen, whatever, but the World Cup of Hockey, at least when it happened it felt like it was at least going to be an every two years thing and it was going to be something we could look forward to and now it's like, five, I have to wait five or seven years for this, like I'm not going to care at that point, like it's just going to be when it comes, oh, it's going to be cool, but I'm not going to be like hyped up for five to seven years waiting for this, right, like I'm not going to I'm not going to actually wait that long for it. So,
1: Yeah, and if they're thinking people will uh, forget about, oh, yeah, the Olympics don't have uh, the hockey players in, it's going to come around. Every single time the Olympics come around and the NHL players aren't allowed to play, you're going to get nothing but social media crap, <laughs> and you're going you're gonna to take it on the chin. So to just think, oh, well, you know, they'll forget about it in a couple of years, and it won't be that big of a deal about the Olympics because they haven't gone in such a long time. I think every time it comes around, everyone's going to start bitching and moaning about it. So.
2: Yeah, it, it, that's usually how it goes uh, yeah. as for a couple of different other things we had here uh Jack Eichel is on mm. a 16 game point streak Sabres still aren't really your, that your good boy good. Jack Eichel yeah but uh, the one thing I want to talk about was because when he was with the draft uh, with Connor McDavid there was mm-hmm. legitimate questions about you know maybe Jack Eichel could be the number one pick here and and you know how good <laughs> is he because Connor McDavid is a generational talent but I think that yeah. the question becomes now is like how how good is Jack Eichel when you stack him up with other players that were drafted uh, in you know drafts after him? Um, you know, does he go number one uh, in a draft with Austin Matthews and, and uh, Patrick Laine? Does he go you know number one uh, in a draft like with Jack Hughes and Capo Cackle? Like how good of a player is? He because now he's I think he's at forty eight points, a sixteen game point streak, which is the second longest point streak by an American other than Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane has the record at twenty six. Like there's a good chance Eichel could hit that the way he's playing right now. Just how good is jack eichel
1: he's good i mean you see he's finally getting there obviously with uh Connor mcdavid it doesn't matter who <laughs> who you're going to put in next to him you take Connor mcdavid every single time uh but that's not to, you know necessarily short change eichel it's just taking a little bit longer he's on you know questionably uh, a pretty crappy team but that's usually how it goes because the crappy teams are the ones that get to pick the good guys so uh, he, you know he'll get there and I think he's kind of showing that signs that he's there. Is he better than a Matthews? I say it's a little little too early to tell because I think Matthews is one of those players who will also eventually start yeah. hitting what Eichel's doing now but probably in an earlier time. Than, than Eichel so I mean they're, they're they're close in years but uh you know is he is he better than a line A I think so um uh Matthews and him I think are kind of on par maybe a slight edge to Matthews just because he's got that um just that ability to score um where Eichel has more of a, a complete round game with a lot of offensive upside too but that's kind of where I put that my with David McDavid Austin Matthews Eichel real close to Austin Matthews and then your line A's after that and I mean, like he's
2: starting. He's starting to close the gap um, with McDavid, mm-hmm. which is not a hard thing to do. I mean, McDavid is always going to be the the best player from that draft. Um, always chasing him. Yeah, but the the big thing was like it was always a it was a one two in that draft, and and there was talks about how Eichel, you know, McDavid is generational, and he's going to be one of the best players in this league. I mean, right now he's, you know probably the best player in the league but Mm -hmm. jack eichel was supposed to be a guy that had potential to be a top five player in this league and i I think he's starting to to kind of get there and yeah i kind of agree in the sense like it is a bit too early to say he's better than austin matthews because we have to give austin matthews the same shot you know at at least one or Mm -hmm. two more seasons to see if he can kind of you know pull it around and do what eichel's doing now because it's it's been a bit of a grind for jack eichel where he's had that Mm -hmm. to live in in uh Connor McDavid's shadow a bit, and you know, when is he going to start producing at a high rate? And he finally is doing so. Again, the Sabers are, are a little bit less of a, of a shit show than they were in the past. So he's kind of gotten those <laughs> yeah. pieces in place to to succeed. And you know, Austin Matthews has been kind of thrown into a, a better Toronto team, and it's been a bit of a slower ride, I guess you could say. Despite you know scoring, I think he he did score 40, right? I think uh, Matthew. I'd Matthews, or he least thirty and so. back to back. He's been very yeah. good. I think at forty, uh, but as a, a younger player, it just I, I don't think he's breaking out, broken out yet to um, that elite level where you're like, oh, he's definitely one of the top five players in, in the league and, and gone on a, a stretch like that yet. But uh, it is nice to see Eichel doing well. Uh, last, last thing I <laughs> want to talk about, and, and this is my favorite. Uh, this is usually closer to the trade deadline, but I love when players start getting scratched for precautionary reasons um and teams don't think we we know what it's (laughs) it's for but uh taylor (laughs) hall has now missed the last two games for precautionary reasons and those precautionary reasons are we don't want this guy to get hurt because we're trying to trade him we're 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 at least closer to a trade close enough to a trade that we don't want him playing because we think we can get one done Mm. and there's a couple you know dot dot i's and cross some t's here to, to get this trade over the line but uh does he get traded before christmas
1: um, I don't see him unless the deal completely falls through. I, I think uh, every game he's missing, it just I don't know. It just it's more of a distraction. It's like well, either trade him or don't. Why why is he not playing? And why you know why is the team being held out from having somebody that will help them win if it's not going to happen? So. Uh, the fact that he's already missed two games is already kind of surprising usually if a trades imminent you know imminent then you pull the guy out hey you're not gonna play tonight and it's usually that night or it's the next day maybe the following day but you don't start going two games and then three and then you know and then it doesn't happen like it should be imminent like it's about to happen here it comes let's go because yeah. he's not gaining any value by not playing so and that's going to be frustrating for the player as well so i would say yeah i, I would assume in the next couple of days it's got to happen i don't know how much yeah. more they want to keep holding them out
2: <laughs> well as things work out uh, his next game is against the ducks on wednesday so oh. we'll see uh, i mean the, the the devils now have today and a few more days about 4 days off before they play again and whether they can uh, work out a trade or not but yeah i mean a guy say, yeah. a guy missing one game for precautionary reasons, that could be true. When it's back to back and you've traveled with the team still in Arizona, and you're not saying it's an injury, that uh, uh, that seems more uh, trade issues there. And I yeah. mean, Florida, Florida was a team that he was rumored to, that were I guess Florida were rumored to be very interested in Taylor Hall, and they they scratched two of their top prospects in the AHL for precautionary reasons. Alexi Haponiemi mm-hmm. and, and Henrik Borgstrom were scratched uh, two nights ago, or I think maybe last night for precautionary reasons in that game. So that kind of heightened the, uh, the sense of it, and of course, because he was scratched the first time against Colorado. That also brought some yeah. uh, rumors out because Colorado is also heavily interested in Taylor Hall. I mean, yeah. everybody is probably heavily interested in Taylor Arizona Hall. Arizona was another um, good one. Arizona is another one that uh, apparently, apparently Arizona and uh, Colorado are, are very, very interested. Um, I forget what the other team was. There was a few others who were we are very interested in Taylor Hall and looking to get things over the line, but I, I I could honestly see. I mean, if he is not traded before Wednesday and then he's scratched again, um, then it starts to be interesting because I would assume right now the fact he's missed two games, a trade has to be fairly close, and they're working on you know some smaller parts of this deal, probably an extension, which I could see. Why this could take a little bit longer, and and yeah. know, the Mark Stone trade took longer because of the same reason that traded the, the signs sign. were yeah. looking to sign him to a deal and then trade him to the uh, the Vegas Gold Knights, and Vegas kind of had to be in on those discussions for a contract Ooh. as well and what they were comfortable with. So you've got essentially you know an agent dealing with two different teams to sign a contract that works for both teams, right? And his, in a and way. His client, like, yeah technically the agent has to sign the contract with. The devils, so he has to work with Ray Shiro on signing a contract. But then, whatever team, let's say for, for, you know, sake of argument here, it's Florida, their GM has to be in there to kind of say, okay, well, this contract works for us. This doesn't, right? So Mm -hmm. it, it, it creates some issues and it kind of extends it a bit. But I, I think he gets moved. I think December 19th is the last day you can trade players before that roster freeze comes into effect before Christmas. Right. I, I think he's traded before then. I, I think they're so close right now. The fact he's been scratched a couple of games that I, I can't see this lasting any longer than that.
1: Yeah, and that makes sense because that could be a shot in the arm for Florida, too. And, you know, the, the GM of Florida came out at the beginning of the season. This will be the best Florida team you've ever seen. We're going to do things we've never done before. So, like, he, he had a whole lot of expectations. And it, it didn't start out all that great. It's it's definitely gotten a little bit better. But adding to Taylor Hall to that makes really kind of – should be able to bump you up to that next level. What's nuts is they'd be adding
2: Taylor Hall to a fifth-ranked offense. It's like yeah. You could argue they don't <laughs> even need Taylor Hall to, to this lineup yeah. right now. Um, but really, for Florida, it's been goaltending, and I think um, at some point they expect Bobrovsky, which he already kind of has, to turn things around. I mean, Bobrovsky's last five games, he's had almost over a 930 save percentage in all of them. So yeah. it's been a, a lot better from Burbowski as of late. But you know, despite that, his save percentage on the season is just 900 with those last five games uh, in, into uh, effect there so that you can kind of see how bad he's been at the beginning part of the season. At some point, he's going to get back to you know close to a Vesna-quality goaltender. And if you add a player like Taylor Hall to an already top-five offense, this becomes yeah. a very, very scary team. Arguably a team who could compete... For not just the Stanley Cup, but for, you know, for top in the in the Eastern Conference on the regular season, because but they may not, but they may not even be top
1: Florida team. <laughs> Who do you think is better if they add uh, Taylor Hall? Who do you think is better on paper, God, Florida or uh, I mean, you can, Tampa
2: goaltending? It's fairly even because Bobrovsky and Vasilevsky yeah. have both been have struggled this year. But before yeah. the, I think you know before the season, you would argue they were it was them and Gibson as the top three goalies yeah. in, in this league. So you've got you know two of the best goal tenders, fairly even there. On defense, you got to give an edge to uh, to Tampa Bay because just because of Victor Hedman. But I think yeah. you know in their own right, Florida with Keith Yandel, the way he's playing, and obviously with Aaron Ekblad and Anton Stralman, they have some good defense depth there as well. Uh, and then on forward, right now you'd have to give the edge to to Tampa Bay, despite Kucherov struggling to start the year because they've got Point and Stamkos and Kucherov. But yeah, Taylor Hall into a mix with. Huberto and Barkov and Hoffman and Dadanov and Trochek like all of a sudden you, you would probably have to give the edge on offense to, to the Panthers I mean the fact yeah. again, they're 15-12-5 with the top five offense it's been because of goaltending this year that they've struggled I could see Florida being the best team in the Eastern Conference which is tough to say mm. when you've got Boston and Washington there if they add Taylor Hall and get uh, a consistently good Sergei Bobrovsky yeah, yeah. Alright, well, that's it. That's all we've got. Uh, oh, we yeah. forgot to preview the next two games. I, I guess we'll just give quick predictions because we're, we're kind of over our limit here. But they've got the Flyers on Tuesday and the Devils on Wednesday, so that means we'll likely not be back until Thursday with the show because we try and not come, do the money. But back-to-back, kind of good thing that the first game of the back-to-back is against the Flyers. Flyers haven't mm-hmm. been a- anything spectacular this year, but they, they are 17-10-5 that's mm-hmm. going to be the tougher game. How do you think that one goes? It's in Philly, I believe. Yeah, it's in Philly.
1: It's in Philly. I don't know, it's always tough when they start a road trip and they've got six games or sorry, they got four games in 6 days including two back to back. So, um I think they they take what they did with the Rangers and hopefully kind of build on it a little bit. They've been playing good hockey if that power play actually starts clicking. Uh, You know, you know, just keeps doing what it's doing. I can see a win over that, Um, and then they get New Jersey the next night. New Jersey's kind of a dumpster fire, um, which usually means the Ducks will lose to that dumpster fire. (laughs) But
2: um, I I can see Taylor Hall's even there, right? He might
1: be. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, so. Um, I, I think we can definitely take the Rangers, uh, I think Philly would be uh, an interesting one, but I, I think we can take Philly and actually start a, a winning streak, which I think they haven't had a winning streak since November, yeah. <laughs> So uh, early November, so it'd be nice to, to get one of those things again, that'd be good.
2: <laughs> I mean they, they're so close to having three wins in a row if they had a if they if Jonathan Quick didn't have the game he did they would be on a three game winning streak right now but uh, I mean yeah the, the Flyers game I think is important on how the, the second of back to back is going to go I I think they have the potential to win that the Flyers despite having a 17 10 and 5 record haven't been that great lately uh goaltending's been an issue cuz Carter Hart's been kind of inconsistent he's had one good game one bad game usually that's how it's gone for him so hopefully that bad game is against the ducks or uh, hopefully and... Elliot's in that oh, god yeah that would be great that would be even better <laughs> but uh, they don't have a back-to-back so I, I can't see i can't see brian elliott getting in but yeah. uh and then you got the devils who lost seven straight before beating uh the arizona cardinals 2-1 uh, in their last game, and uh, they're in a similar spot, except they get more bad goaltending than good. But Blackwood was the reason they got that two-one win against the Coyotes uh, last night because he had a, an outstanding performance. So most of the time, you can bet on the Devils not having a good goaltending performance. So I think that the Ducks are—it's you know, a safe bet to say they should win this game, especially with um, you know the, their improved play as of late. So at least uh, two points. Potentially yeah. four. I think I think they have the potential. To get likely four from to, this. yeah, I, yeah. I
1: think it's more likely than not they get four, but it all kind of depends on that Philly game.
2: Yeah, that, that Philly game is a bit of a wild card because the Flyers like randomly have a pretty decent record, but anytime yeah. I've seen them play this year, they haven't looked that good. Uh, yeah. And then a quick look ahead to the weekend. It's is the the week of back to backs <laughs> this year because we've got yeah. this week we've got uh, <laughs> Philly then New Jersey, and then Saturday Sunday you got the Islanders and the Rangers again. Uh, two really early games. Early, really early for you guys. I mean, for me, it's 1-12-30. Mm-hmm. For you guys, well, that's 10, 11-30 so games 30. this weekend. So, man, I mean. Yeah, I'm going to miss all of them. Ther- uh, no, what is this is a Thursday on, and Monday show. I think this was the weekend we looked ahead to at the beginning of the season. where are like, this so, is going to be a yeah, weird like, week for podcasting. It's uh, yeah. Sunday. Sunday has to be the last game before Christmas, right? Yeah, or for the Ducks, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, so makes, I, think. I guess There's expect us with a Thursday and Monday show Monday twenty so third. and then yeah. uh, you won't hear much from us over Christmas until the Ducks play the Golden Knights on December twenty seventh. So yeah, short of things on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, we're trying to get better with that. We've been kind of lackluster with our, our Twitter and I guess even our podcasting scheduling this year. I mean, we we uh, we, we relate all this to you guys on the last show, mm-hmm. but we're, we're going to getting things better. Hopefully, Pat will be back on the show um, mm-hmm. this week coming up. I, I know it's been, what, four shows since you guys have seen Pat? Yeah. And I he's, he's alive. Right. He's
1: alive, everyone. He's, he's alive, yeah. So no, no RIPs. He's he's still here. He's just yeah. <laughs> finding it uh, difficult to schedule. I know all. some
2: <laughs> people were, were ready to riot, but... Uh, huh? But uh, Pat will be back. But anyway, thanks for joining the show this week, guys. And uh, we'll see you on Thursday. Never miss a moment of Wizards action with Monumental Sports Network. Get live games and stat tracking, plus new shows and your favorite personalities
1: all in one place. Learn more at WatchMonumental.com.